0: tough enough meeting the logistics challenges of making and selling product in developed countries, but what do you need to know about setting up in emerging markets? Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Emerging markets offer plenty of opportunities for new business, but they also present a whole slew of complications that can sink companies that are unprepared to deal with them. PwC recently published a new paper on overcoming network logistics complexities in emerging markets. Today I speak with Sandra Gosling, U.S. Supply Chain Director of PwC, who discusses some of the highlights of the study, including the six big categories that companies must consider when entering emerging markets. We drill down into each one and get some expert advice on how to launch a successful supply chain network modeling project in some of the most difficult areas of the world. So here is my conversation with Sandra Gosling. Sandra Gosling, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks, Bob. This
0: should make for an interesting discussion about how to engage in supply chain network modeling projects in emerging markets. Uh, PwC just put out a study on that subject. Is that right? Is it new?
1: Yes, it's uh, new. I think about maybe it's just a couple of weeks old that it's been out.
0: Is this the first time you've done anything like that or is it a follow-up to a previous paper?
1: Uh, no, it's it's the first time that we've done that, and, and it was a collaboration amongst our partner firms um, across the globe. So we actually got quite a bit of input from our teams around the globe.
0: The subject, I'm sure, some very hard, uh, long, uh, long-lived experiences, right, on the ground.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
0: What I find interesting is you basically divide it up into six subject areas, each of which presents its own unique challenges and requirements in terms of tapping these emerging markets with a supply chain model. I'd like to take them one by one if I can. The first is IT infrastructure. Talk to me a little bit about what are the issues that one encounters in emerging markets in that area.
1: In emerging markets, as most folks can imagine, a lot of them, the complete lack of IT infrastructure is is typically the biggest challenge um, I would say, actually, in, in in these projects as a whole. Generally speaking, if data exists, many times it's very manual or very uh, paper-laden. So, you know, you may be collecting piles of paper to get data that shows any sort of historical movements or um, invoices from carriers that are all very, again, paper and manually entered, potentially even handwritten, we've seen as well, Um, So so having that infrastructure and getting that data uh, is really, really challenging. The other piece of that is the data just may not exist at all. So in other words, if you're entering into an emerging market that um, perhaps is a completely new space uh, for your company to grow, um, I'm trying to think of like a good example, Uh, let's let's just say uh, pharma pharmaceutical products into a very developing market still it's highly unlikely that there's any sort of history in and out of that market other than you know Joe schmo bringing in and out in and out of that country pharmaceuticals right so getting that data is usually a combination of things with your with whoever you're working with there I think and let me just back up, Bob. I mean, one of the key things for IT infrastructure in any of these topics is having, you know, feet on the ground, boots on the street, so to speak. Having someone local for any of these categories will go a very long way because developing local relationships will help you build the assumptions and the information needed that you may have to completely make up or um, assume to actually build the model and build the data that goes into the model. Does
0: that so make the sense? Data, yeah. The data you're talking about is what is it like customer demand data or product market history, that type of stuff. Is that essentially? It's both,
1: yeah. It's both of those, but it's also things like transportation costs or warehousing costs or customs uh, requirements and charges that may go along with that. So it's really all the cost components that you'd want to take into account in a network design activity.
0: If we're talking about the actual issue of IT infrastructure, I wonder if that's getting any easier now with the advance of cloud technology, meaning you don't have to have as many servers right there on the ground. Is that that making it better, or is that really not the case?
1: No, I th- I think that is the other thing that I'd mention that I think is helping is um, a lot of the mobile devices that we're starting to see more and more of. You know, I, I work a lot with some with agricultural type companies, and you know, a good example of the way they're gathering data is they're actually giving farmers you know mobile devices that they're taking out into the field and gathering data on a daily basis that's then to your point uploaded into the cloud and they're able to use, and then the companies are able to use that data to make future decisions, including potentially future decisions about where to potentially put a warehouse to get that product out of a particular country based on the data gathered in the field.
0: Yeah, we hear about some of these countries jumping directly from having no phone service to go directly to cellular or satellite service. So there's a big right. leap there. Uh, you don't even have legacy technology to deal with. What about data security?
1: Yeah, that that continues to be a challenge, um, particularly in, in certain countries, uh, and it's gotten a lot better, particularly on the on the capabilities from a I guess from a U.S. perspective as far as you know the way we protect our data that's coming in and going out. But that's going to continue to be a challenge, I think. I mean, we hear about it all the time. I mean, right, the, this, the most recent breach of data that who knows where it ultimately came from, but it sure is getting a lot of press, right? And and that's going to continue. That type of press is going to continue to make companies uh, skittish, I think, about data security. And, again, I that's why, the, again, the boots on the street, so to speak, really helps, again, just to – reinforce the local relationships, you know, the local, for lack of a better term, perception of doing the investment in that emerging market, which is is what you really want to convey to that local culture.
0: Let's move on to legal and regulatory, which can be an absolute nightmare in an emerging economy for companies that don't understand what the environment is like or can't handle sudden changes, overnight changes in regulations. What are some of the challenges there and how are companies overcoming them?
1: Sure. So to your point, I think I think the challenge is that they are ever changing. Uh, that's um, you know that's even in the U.S. <laughs> they are ever changing here as well. So it seems like we can't quite get away from that one, um, no matter what country you're in or, or how developed it is. But I, the biggest way that we've seen companies work with this is getting not only again getting the local uh, representation and developing the relationships with the customs officials. Locally, but also then making sure that they're very well documented about what those policies and procedures are, what the anticipated costs are, and fees and duties, et cetera, are. And so, and then tracking against that as best they can, um, given again the IT infrastructure challenges. Um, but but that is that's been one way we've seen companies combat that. It's something that I think companies are, I shouldn't say finally, but I think we're seeing more. Companies be aware of the complexities involved in this as they enter these emerging markets. I think we've seen a lot of companies almost take for granted, uh, you know, what that legal and regulatory requirements are when they're operating in more of that Western world, if you will, and developed world. And now that companies are starting to enter and grow into these emerging markets, they're putting much more of a A focused eye on it, not only in those emerging markets, but also then taking some of those practices and applying them elsewhere as well.
0: This, of course, even assumes that there is a strong rule of law in the country in question. A lot of companies face issues of corruption and bribery in some of these countries. So that that remains an issue, does it not?
1: It absolutely does. And we are constantly asked by our clients about how to handle that at which point, of course, we are always going to state you stay away from it in every way possible. So um, it's easier said than done. Um, but again, I think uh, I'm going to sound like a broken record here before long. But having the, the local representation will help navigate that immensely. Um, so building a team that you know can be trusted in that lo- in that specific locale. And that ultimately has not only the relationships locally, but then has the relationships within the company as well. Really, will go a long way.
0: This next one's kind of a hot topic, even in the developed world among businesses today, and that is customer segmentation. What are the issues as they relate to emerging markets?
1: Well, it's interesting. I mean, you kind of mentioned earlier on about you know some of these countries are going they're they're skipping phone lines altogether and going straight to cell phones. Well. You know, similarly, with customer segmentation, the social classes are really driving how folks are, are demanding products. So, you know, for example, um, in, in Africa, we're seeing quite a bit of the upper class wanting to go to actual brick-and-mortar stores, so you have to build the supply chain for that. But then we're also seeing quite a bit of uh, middle class and even low income be interested in more of the ordering online. So you have to be able to develop a supply chain that, may, that has to support both or two different supply chains that can support you know, both those requirements. And so we're seeing this in many locales. I would say you know, Africa's really been a hot – India, we're seeing similar things as well where there's a lot of different sales channel requirements, and it typically those sales channels are typically reflective of different social classes.
0: Probably a reflection of the fact there might be fewer physical points of sale, fewer brick and mortar locations where product can be purchased and therefore the internet becomes an important channel in that respect, right?
1: Absolutely. And if you even if you think about some some of the things in China, right? You know, some of the companies there that are You've got folks way out in rural areas, but now those folks have Internet access. Well, now you've got to figure out how to get they, – they can now order that product so the demand is there, but now you've got to figure out how to actually get the product there.
0: Here again, IT infrastructure probably comes back into the, into the picture, but again, this is just a basic kind of a, a PC or laptop connection you're looking at here, so I imagine that that's not a big issue with regard to maintaining an omni-channel environment.
1: That's right. That's right. It's definitely, I would say it's more the, the back end of it rather than the front end of it. This, the front end of it seems to be pretty, pretty easy to do. I mean, again, looking at some of the, the big, big names in the, in the uh, news lately, you're going to see those guys going after all those omni-channel opportunities that they can, because it's relatively easy to start set, setting that up.
0: Now, despite the uh, kind of the sexiness of the Internet and technology today, you still have to physically deliver product, unfortunately. Uh, And I guess to a great extent, companies are relying heavily on third-party and fourth-party logistics providers in these emerging markets. What is the availability uh, of quality partners who can perform these tasks in those locations?
1: Well, it's getting better and better, and in fact, we've been seeing more and more some of the, the bigger you know, 3PLs out there looking at those emerging markets and really targeting growth in those emerging markets. So they're, very at, they're not waiting on the demand on them to come into those emerging markets. Rather, they're actually going into those emerging markets, trying to develop some of the infrastructure, the logistics infrastructure in that market, to ultimately serve that market ahead of the demand. Um, so we're seeing that a little bit more and more because clearly the, those emerging markets are going to not be emerging <laughs> much longer. They're going to be established, so they're trying to get ahead of the game. And we've just seen that more recently, that that kind of shift, I guess I would say, in the 3PL mindset of getting there first rather than waiting on the customer to come call on them to get into that market. So it is still very, I would say, varied, (laughs) Um, location to location, or region to region, Um, but also I would say that it also depends on the actual products, right? So, you know, a pharma requirement is going to be a lot different than just a a nuts and bolts client, right? So the the cold chain requirements are going to require a much stronger infrastructure versus somebody that's just shipping a box full of bolts, as an example. Um, They could... They could potentially use a a much less mature 3PL that's really just got to get a box from point A to point B on whatever means necessary, including, you know, we've seen in a lot of markets, even bikes, right, putting them on bikes and getting them to the final customer.
0: Here again, you have that question of whether to rely on a 3PL that's essentially local or a global entity that has offices and capabilities all over the world with its international expertise. What choices get made there? I, mean, I imagine it's not a obvious choice in in you know in all instances. But how do you even weigh those factors?
1: Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give a, a classic uh, consultant response of it depends, <laughs> and it depends a little bit on the you know to your point, it, it's going to be based on the company that's evaluating it, their risk profile, right? So, do they want to? take a risk potentially with a local guy who, who very well may have a lower cost structure because they have less overhead of supporting a global business, or do they want that global infrastructure because of, in theory, the support behind that, that big name, right? Um, but it may come at a cost. And a lot of times, companies are looking at a blended approach. Um, we've been seeing quite a bit of that uh particularly and again in certain regions where there's not a predominant global player and there may be several local players that either historically or currently are actually contracting with those global 3PLs as well and that that's something that a lot of folks are finding is that you know a lot of those global 3PLs while they're global they're actually contracting to the local guys as well so You're still, in theory, working with the local guys.
0: I imagine in most cases, these individual countries have to be served by distribution uh, locations within those countries, right? There's no regional scheme that you could engage in that would reach out to multiple countries within uh, within a collection of emerging markets, right?
1: That's generally true. The one exception I would probably say to that would be Africa, where you could potentially establish more of a distribution location, you know, more. I say centrally, not physically centrally, but more closer to some of the more uh, densely populated areas, but then ultimately distribute to other countries outside of that country. Again, it's going to be very dependent on the relations between those countries, which, as, as we've alluded to, can change on a daily basis.
0: I also want to talk now about the individual challenges that come from geography and environment, the next category in your list of concerns here. I guess that's sort of self-evident in many cases, just dealing with each individual country's geography. But what are some of the challenges and how can they be overcome in terms of kind of literally being on the ground and trying to get product through these sometimes difficult environments?
1: Sure. Yeah, one of the things we've been seeing more and more, um, particularly with uh, geography and environment and things like natural disasters and the landscape, right, so weather, and we're seeing this in the U.S. as well, as we've been living through lots of horrible weather in the last few years, but having a backup plan to service those locations and being able to communicate as well. So, you know, I'll give an example Turkey is a, is a good country example of where the western half is generally stable. If you go to the eastern half, um, you're running into horrible winters. It's much m- more mountainous, et cetera, um, so it's much more difficult to deal with. And what we've been seeing a lot is that while they may take advantage of being in the eastern half of the country due to tax incentives, uh, lower labor cost, et cetera, uh, they will still use some sort of distribution in the western half of the country to keep a flow of products available and going, being able to go elsewhere when and if you know, natural disaster or weather impedes the eastern location from being able to work appropriately. And we're seeing that everywhere. We're seeing that really everywhere, including the U.S.
0: I guess you also have to make sure that basic utilities are in place as well, Com- a consistent supply of energy to keep these facilities up and running. That's a problem, right?
1: Yeah, that absolutely is a problem. Um, and, you know, again, we we talked a little bit about uh, Africa, I mean, in other countries, right, that are experiencing brownouts on a regular basis, rolling brownouts. Um, having to deal with that, again, is is all about planning <laughs> as much as you possibly can for these sorts of things and having the alternative plans in place should something go awry. Um, so we're seeing quite a bit more of risk planning and uh, disruption planning, if you will, uh, than, we ha- than we may normally if we were setting up in, in a developed country. Um, although, of course, we're seeing a rise in that even in the developed country, but particularly in the emerging markets, that disruption piece really comes into play. And having a good plan, uh, whether, even if it's as simple as being able to communicate that disruption to the appropriate parties, including customers, is really critical.
0: Now, this last point is very multifaceted, and I imagine pretty difficult to get your arms around, and that is the social and political climate of a country a lot of intangibles there i would think what are the big issues there in terms of demographics safety and the like that would affect a company's ability to operate in these countries
1: yeah you're right it's very multifaceted because it's it's not only about you know for example political stability so you know is is are the tax incentives that are in place today going to hold for the next year, or are they going to get thrown out in three months because the current political party overthrows the, the old political party and those tax incentives are out the window, right? that That's going to come into play. But it also comes into play in it really attracting talent to ultimately build out the emerging market uh, logistics capabilities. So, you know, again, we've talked about throughout that having feet on the street is really important, but if you're looking at an emerging market that has uh, particularly questionable safety, as an example, uh, it's going to be hard to attract talent there. However, it's been done. I mean, you you even look at um, a lot of in the oil and gas, the way that they attract their uh, expats and whatnot is, is there are ways to attract them, right? They put together very nice packages and, and they get them over there for periods of time and they they then bring them back. There are ways to do it, um, but again, it is very much company-specific and the risk tolerance for that company about how they want to handle it. I've seen more and more the desire to build out the local team as much as possible with locals, and that really helps manage it.
0: Including at the management level, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. So instead of, you know, sending an expat over there for – Two years as an example you might send an expat over there for the first three months get a local manager in place and then that expat kind of leaves and probably comes back on a regular basis we've been seeing that more and more and we've been seeing good success with that as well and that obviously helps with that emerging market right to continue to grow so that's what we'd like to see
0: how do you suggest companies go about doing their homework in terms of assessing the cultural sense of sensitivity of a particular country to their operation, making sure that the products they're making and the way they're treating the people and the way that the expats are, are working in that in that country are going to not cause problems with the locals?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of ways that we've been seeing this done. I mean, again, <laughs> broken record, the, the feet on the street really helped, and that's both Not only talking with locals, getting to know locals, but, you know, a lot of our clients leverage a firm like like us, like PwC, to be able to have folks that are in the offices in those cities, in those countries around the world that live there, that would potentially be consumers of that particular product and even get that feedback from them. Uh, We've also seen the use of social media to start to get some of that feedback. Uh, where, again, where that infrastructure actually exists. But, again, I think we'd all be surprised at how many people have a cell phone around the world, no matter where they are. So um, that's been another creative way that we've been seeing kind of getting some of that feedback and making sure that you're not going into a country with, uh, with something that's not going to be received well.
0: You know, we're almost out of time, but I do want to ask you, out of yeah. these six points that we've been discussing today, Which of them, if any, I mean, can you identify one that has presented the biggest challenge to the companies that you've worked with over the years trying to break into emerging markets?
1: That is a tough question. Honestly, I would probably say, number one, the IT infrastructure, the systems, the data availability. A lot of folks would probably argue and say, you know, well, that legal and regulatory and potentially even, you know, the political climate plays a huge role because it is rather unpredictable. But... While that's unpredictable, you can predict that it will be unpredictable, (laughs) whereas the IT infrastructure is if the data doesn't exist, the data doesn't exist. So you literally are creating from scratch, and that that becomes much more of a challenge than um, having to really wade through potential changes in regulatory requirements or taxes or things of that nature.
0: And I imagine all these points are just as relevant if you are sourcing in these countries or if you're producing in these countries for local sale. I mean, I'm sure Absolutely. you experience both situations with your clients, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we, we look at both ways in, in not only producing in those markets, but even just distributing into those markets, right? So you don't even necessarily have to be manufacturing there. You could be simply using a distributor to ultimately get to your end demand.
0: Well, these are some great guidelines to companies seeking to uh, do business in emerging markets. The PwC paper is called Overcoming Network Logistics Complexities in Emerging Markets. We'll link to that in the show notes. But Sandra Gosling, I really want to thank you for being with us today and helping us to understand some of the high points. Thank you very much for your input.
1: Thank you. I appreciate your time, Bob.
0: That was my conversation with Sandra Gosling of PwC, talking about the challenges that companies face in setting up supply chains in emerging economies. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain